Over the past five years, I have gained a tremendous amount of respect for like three groups of people. Teachers, like now that my daughter like goes to school, I have a new respect for like teachers of everything they do. So shout out to all the teachers. Uh, you guys are like are a bedrock to society. So thank you to all the teachers. Over the past five years, I've gained a new respect for bishops. Like just kind of now being on the clergy side of things, I have a new respect and honor for bishops. Just seeing the things they have to deal with on a daily basis and how they shepherd such a large group of people. So um, I have a tremendous amount of uh, respect for bishops. And I have a new respect for moms. The things that you guys have to go through for baby delivery, God bless you guys. So here I am, for, I'm, here I am 48 hours after my wife gives birth, and my wife, yeah, this is just, this is Friday, yeah. So, so, so my, my wife is in severe pain on some morphine right now as I'm sitting here smiling in that church. And then my son, Tobias, which is so weird to say my son, but my son, his name is Tobias, and I think he's giving me that look because he already knows that I'm going to be using him for tons of examples for every sermon moving forward. <laughs> so I think he already knows that his life is going to be super public and I'm going to share all our family issues out loud publicly. So yeah, like I said, I have a tremendous amount of respect for teachers, bishops, and moms for sure. So God bless Sarah. She is the best. Being a warrior. So hopefully everyone gets to go home today after church, but we'll find out. When you see this title, different things might come to mind. There might be an emotional tug when you think of family patterns, when you think of maybe the brokenness of your family, maybe the history of things in your family, things maybe that you and I are not proud of that are there. Different things come to mind when we think of our family patterns and how things go from generation to generation and how maybe certain habits that your great-great-grandparents might have and how it's continued till now. I, I want to make this clear. This is going to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, this talk, and it requires us to kind of assess our family history because if we like it or not, study after study after study shows that there are certain familial patterns that happen in families from one generation to the next. If they are not addressed, if they are not processed and brought to the surface, they are naturally they're passed down from generation to generation. Believe me, these are not my words. I'm just sharing with you what the studies show. If there is sexual abuse, if there is substance abuse, if there's alcohol, if there are even, even marital issues, this stuff continues and moves on generation to generation if it is not brought to the surface and addressed. What we are exposed to, family-wise, naturally becomes embedded into us and is naturally passed down. This is all subconsciously. But you get this in a general level. Parents, you are very intentional about who your kids hang out with. Why? Because you know that we're social beings and whom we hang out with influence us at a deep level. If this is true when it comes to our social health and who we hang out with, right? This is not a kid's thing. This is a human thing. Whom we hang out with, this naturally molds us and influences us tremendously. The same is true for our family patterns. It influences us at a deep level and it continues generation to generation, again, subconsciously. It's nothing intentional. It's not like you saw your parents fighting this way and you're gonna be like, I'm going to fight the same way. It, you, you, don't, you're not, you don't point it out, but it naturally carries on from one generation to the next. But 
You and I are scared about this topic. <laughs> you, I feel a bit uncomfortable in the direction we're going to go in this talk and in your life group as we kind of continue to break this down. This does make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Do you know why? We're scared. We're scared to break down habits that we saw in our parents or, or, in, our, or in our grandparents. We're scared of analyzing that and, and assessing it because we're, we're we just want to move forward, right? We want to be able to just continue to move forward. How can I be a better person and so forth and so on? We want to just think forward, right? What's next on the calendar? What I got to do tomorrow? So forth and so on, right? We want to move forward. It kind of goes against a reflex to actually move backward. But in order for us to move forward, we need to take one step back. I remember my spiritual father many years ago, uh, he, he, I was going through something and he told me, sometimes you have to take one step back in order to go two steps forward. And for many of you, I repeat that over till this day because it resonated with me till this day how he, when he told me that. So for, for today, for this topic, and us continuing to talk it out in life group, for those who are in life group, we need to take one step back in order to go one step forward. And the, this, the, not the, I can't say Bible verse, but the ancient Christian saying, this ancient Christian saying came to mind as we move forward. This is coming from Daniel chapter 3, but it's not in your Daniel chapter 3. This is actually in the original Bible, but um, I, I, during the printing press and the Protestant Reformation, this part of the Bible was actually taken out later on in history. But actually, in the original Bible, this part was added. This is called a prayer of Azaria. And we say this and we, we chant this in the hymns of the church. Take off the old man and put on the new and superior one. Today is, is all about for us to take off the old man. There's a part of us that we, like, what's carried on in our family is on us. But we need to take off that old person and put on the new and superior one. This is not the theme of today. This is not the theme of the eight, which in essence it is, right? The eight is a place for us to renew and reset life. This is the platform of the Christian worldview for us to take off the old person and put on the new and superior one. Come closer to the greatness of mercy. Praise him and exalt him above all. It's a beautiful hymn. This is something chanted in our ancient hymnology of the church. For us to take off the old man and put on the new and superior one. And this is the direction that we have to move in. This is super tacky. I wasn't planning it, but I guess I can't read the text without thinking of the hymn in my head. So even if you don't know the hymn, maybe we could just sing it three times because I just feel it's so catchy. It, it kind of really resonates with me as far as the music put to this text of this ancient hymn. So this is uh, something from Midnight Praises. So it kind of goes like this. If you know, you can sing along, but maybe we'll just sing it three times because this is kind of like our marching anthem as followers of Jesus for us to continue to take off the old man and put on the new and superior one. Take off the old man and put on the new and superior one. Come closer to the greatness of mercy. Praise him and exalt him above all. Two more times. Take off the old man and put on the new and superior one. Come closer to the greatness of mercy. Praise him and exalt him above all. Take off the old man and put on the new and superior one. Come closer to the greatness of mercy. Praise him and exalt him above all. 
this is a daily rhythm to take off the old man and put on the new and superior one. This is continuous. This is under our breath at all times. This is the very fabric of first century Christianity. This is true for all of Christianity, but this is definitely embedded into the hymnology, the ascetic prayers, communal prayers, liturgical prayers. Everything is embedded and runs around this theology for us to take off the old man and put on the new and superior one. There was a nice quote that came from this book, which is the basis of this entire series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And the saying goes like this. The author says this. Jesus lives in your heart, but Grandpa lives in your bones. Jesus might be in your heart, but the reality is, in our bones is the flaws, the good and the bad and the ugly of our parents, our grandparents. That is embedded into the very DNA, deep into our bones. So Jesus might be in our heart, but grandpa lives in our bones. I just want to share the impact of our family and how much it has an impact on generational habits, on generational habits. What I want to share with you is when God was giving humanity and giving his people a rubric, a moral code, which we know as being called the Ten Commandments, God wanted to give humanity a rubric, a moral code, ethical code to follow for them to kind of like know what's right what's wrong what's left what's right so so god wanted to make it clear to them so god was making it clear to them that they should not worship idols so jesus so this is the explanation that god gave his people you shall not make for yourself an idol for i am a jealous god what on earth how can God be jealous? Not jealous, jealousy as in like an insecurity. I'm jealous. I'm comparing myself. Not in that way. That God wants all of our heart. That he wants all of our heart. So God is telling them, I don't want you to worship other things. I don't want you to chase after and worship, worshiping your career or your, your, your financial state or that, that next best thing. I don't want you to worship those type of idols. I don't want you to chase after that because that's, there's no end. Like you're, you're just chasing your tail. There's no end to that. But don't do that because I'm a jealous God. I desire to have intimacy with you, to have oneness with you. I want all of your hearts. So God is making that clear. You shall not make yourself a, an idol, for I am a jealous God. Here comes the kicker. Punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God punishing the children Many people I know personally would read, a com uh, would read a verse like that and they would say, that's exactly why I left the church. This is exactly as I got older, I stopped doing the whole kids camp thing. I stopped doing the whole high school convention stuff. Once I came across that and I saw the wrath of God and God punishing, who wants to, per per who wants to pursue a God that's wrathful and punishing? That's why I left the church. My conversation with that usually begins with a question, which is, was this originally written in English? Or was it in a different language? You, when you and I hear the word punish, there's a certain image that is placed in our head now because of cultural reasons and various things. The word punish, certain things come to mind when we hear the word God punishing the children. But if you look at the etymology, if you look at the root of the words, if you look at the original language of what God is trying to say, many Hebrew scholars would say that the word punish means consequences. So the original understanding of what God is saying is that there are consequences. So let's take it now with that context of understanding the original context, not our reduced English understanding. You shall not make for yourself an idol, for I am a jealous God. And there are natural consequences for the children, for the sin of the fathers, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. What is God saying? 
Those who drift away from me, me being the source of life, me giving the ethical code to give edification to humanity, those who drift away from that, there will naturally be consequences to the third and fourth generation for those who drift away. You guys get what God is saying? Like when we drift away from him, when we just passively move away from him, right? This is just happening, you know, one Sunday after another where there's a drift away because we just pack our schedule with other things. There's a drift that we just fill ourselves with other things and move ourselves away from God's unconditional love. There's natural consequences for the kids. There's natural consequences for the great grandkids. It continues. So he's saying there's natural consequences. This is why, my friends, this is why this is such a stressful week in preparation for me. This is why this talk is so uncomfortable for us because the decisions that we make today impact the next generation. Just maybe some of the flaws that you and I have might be a byproduct of our parents or grandparents that have naturally come to us. But I don't want us to lose hope. It is up to us now to stop that, to stop that trend. We have, the, we have the power to trample on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. This has been given to us by Jesus, that we have that power. It's within us, but it's up to us if we want to stop some of those generational habits. It's on us to stop it. So it, God, God is jealous. He wants our hearts. He wants all of us. And there's natural consequences for the children, for the sins of the fathers, going forward and going backward three and four generations to those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Me personally, I don't like many of the commandments of the church or of the Bible. I don't. But my, my response to that is, I don't care. This is what gives me life. This is what builds me up as a better father and a better husband and as a better minister. If I submit myself to that, because it's, it ain't about me, this will impact my daughter. This will impact I'm still wearing the hospital thing. This will impact my son. This, this I mean, because this, <laughs> I was planning Friday to finish up prepping the talk, and then Sarah's water decides to break on Friday. And I'm looking at Tobias after he came out, and I'm so emotional because this talk is on the front of my heart, thinking, if I don't get my sins and struggles and habits straight now, Tobias Gerges will be a reflection of me, the good and the bad. That is scary. And I'm not saying this to, for you to be scared and walk out and be like, whoa, I was looking for something to cheer me up at church that was the exact opposite. I'm not here to put any of us down. But I want us to be real because God is being real and transparent with us. So this is where we need to take off that old person. Maybe even analyze, what, what, how did, why do I think that's good? Why do I view sexuality that way? Why do I think that's the model for marriage? Maybe we need, to take, we need to analyze that old person, and we need to take off that old person. And for us to analyze, what's the new one I want to put on? Who decides what that new person is? For me, it all rotates around Jesus. I want to share with you some real-life examples of what it looks like for us to take off the old person. Maybe for some of us, maybe for some of us, there is generational habits of how we process conflict. Maybe for some of us, we process conflict of, of uh, running away from the issue. We hide. Like whenever there's an issue, I don't want to confront it, so I just ignore it. Take on my phone, scroll away, just put on the movie. We don't need to deal with the issue. And I, and I run away from the issue. I know it's, it's the biggest elephant in the room, but I just hide away. Maybe because that's how you saw conflicts being managed in your upbringing. Maybe that's how your parents or grandparents, that's how they manage conflict. 
oh, don't worry about it. Let's just go on vacation. Let's just plan the next trip, right? And we just cover it up, right? I'm telling you, COVID was super stressful for me as, as a priest because so many family issues that were just pushed under the rug because we're all busy. We've got to take the kids to soccer. We've got to take them to piano. Go, 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 go. All that froze. You know what started to come out from under the rug? Issues when we were dating and, 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 and trauma, things started to come up. And who's the first person they think that will be able to solve all their issues? I, I don't. I, I mean, let's talk it out. I can ask you questions. But all this stuff ended up coming up out of the surface during COVID. And it was super stressful. My heart was breaking. And guess what happened? Once the restrictions back, went back, uh, removed, and life went back to normal, what happened? Brush it back under the, under the rug. We need to bring that out. We need to analyze this stuff and take off that old person. You and I hate this. I hate it. You hate it. But we have to do it if we're wanting to invest into the next generation. And forget the next generation. For you and I to hear the words, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. It requires us to deep down and look, why do I think the way I do? Where did that come from? Why do I manage conflict like that? Anyway, going back. So one example is how I might manage conflict is that I just brush it under the rug and I don't want to deal with it. I just ignore, just stay busy. Let's plan the next trip. Just put on the movie. And we just we run away from the issue. Maybe how I manage conflict subconsciously, that's coming from my parents, how I saw them manage that. Another example, my identity is in my doing. My identity is in my career. My identity is in my financial state. Maybe you were brought up where your, your, your parents pushed you. You got to do this. You got to be that. No, what do you mean? What do you mean you, you wanted to do this? No, you have to be a, you have to be a, I was about to say priest. You have to be a doctor. You have to be, a, you have to do this. You have, you have to, you, 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 there's no other option. And because you feel your entire identity is based on that. And there's an American culture as well, because how do you and I greet? Hey, what's your name? What do you do? Right? We, that's the first thing. We connect that to our identity and state all the time. So we feel like if I'm not in some prestigious career, then I'm worthless. But you and I know that's not the reality and that's not the core of who we are, is what you do nine to five. That's not who you are. God has called you into something so much more. You're not defined by that. You are not defined by that. But maybe that has been wired within us, especially this is true for first, second, third generation immigrants because we're trying to make it here. So we're just being pushed all the time. I got to be something prestigious. I got to be this. I got to be that. Even if I don't like it, I know I got to do it. So we're just pushed into that state, which is not true. Another example is that I might define healthy marriage by what I was exposed to. I don't define marriage by what God has called it to be, I define what's a good or bad marriage by what I was exposed to. I saw my mom never open her mouth and highly submissive, so I feel I expect the same in my marriage. I saw things equally split between my mom and dad, so I want the same in my marriage. Maybe we, we, we just carry on what we were exposed to and we carry it on into this. Maybe I saw abuse. This is why study after study shows abuse is generational. There's a high chance for abuse to continue onto the next generation into the next. Because, we don't, because it's, it's not addressed in one generation. I might have been exposed to it. I might see it. And then I, I, ended up, I ended up becoming abuser myself. I'm sorry. I hate to say this, but I'm, I'm, I'm just the messenger. I'm just sharing with you what the studies show. So if it's not addressed, it will continue to carry on. Last example, my view of sexuality. Maybe I grew up and sexuality was never discussed. It's bad. Don't say the S word at, at home. And it was never discussed. Something that's bad. Then as I grow up, then I feel like, what is this thing that's overwhelming my social media field of uh, whatever, but overwhelming my social media. What's the thing I keep on seeing at school, everyone's talking about? 
And I go to town on, in it because now my first exposure to sexuality is a distorted perversion of this beautiful, fragile aspect of humanity. But since it was never discussed at home, it was something bad, right? You don't talk about it. Then, then, then that becomes wired in me. And then that's how I, that's my sexual ethics. My sexual ethics then becomes wired by what I'm exposed to around. But what we need to do and what I want to do with my kids, and I pray we do the same as a church. I want to be able to speak openly. Forget, forget me. When we had the Passport to Purity retreat, we had a, we had a retreat with the middle schoolers. And we, we talked about everything. We put it all out. We put it all out. And I loved it. Because then, you know, once I, once I said it and the giggles and all that good stuff came out, then, and, and then they're like, well, well Father Nate, well, I heard someone say this at school. I said, perfect. Let's talk it out. That's awesome that you heard that. But that's actually, like, that's a distorted view. Let's, let's talk about the real thing. Like, let's talk about what, how God originally designed. So we're able to talk about that. Then it becomes embedded in them a healthy reverence towards sexuality, not something maybe they've been exposed to outside or maybe it was a no-no to talk about altogether at home. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, I'm moving on to the next section. That was a bad transition. <laughs> Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God clearly worked through them to be a blessing to humanity. But even with the blessings, there was flaws. There was lying in each one of those generations. This is a Greek Orthodox icon, by the way. There's lying that's passed down from one generation to the next. There's favoritism being passed down from one generation to the next. There is sibling rivalry, which I know is in every family, but this was too like a toxic level, all right? There was poor intimacy in marriage. Can you believe that intimacy is like the, the, the idea of, of, of marital intimacy? That's passed down from generation to the next. But please, I, I feel like I need to say this almost in the same breath. I don't want you to lose hope. Just because it's something generational doesn't mean it cannot change. There is hope for it to change. Do you know why there's hope for it to change? Because there's an empty tomb right now. There's an empty tomb. And someone who said, I am the life. I am the resurrection. Because of that reality, unless something has changed recently, but if that's true, if that's still true till today, this is what gives us hope. Anyway, going back to this blessed but broken family. But it's not true for all of us. So we see, we see, we see broken, we see favoritism, we see uh, poor intimacy in marriage, we see that all past. And then there was a break in that generational habit. There was a break in that lineage. I mean, even his icon, he looks gangster. Here comes Joseph. I mean, he literally just break. I mean, he breaks that trend so much. I mean, this is, you have to admit, this is such a cool icon. Not just because it's a Coptic-styled icon, but he's Pharaoh, man. I mean, how? How? I mean, you, I promise you've never seen an icon where the guy looks like King Tut. I mean, this is awesome. So here's Pharaoh. I mean, sorry, Pharaoh, Joseph. I'm sorry. Here comes Pharaoh. Uh, man, what's wrong with me? Here is Joseph, who broke those trends, broke those habits. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. So he broke those habits. He could have continued passively, moved through life, and had those same issues, issues with, with sexual in intimacy that existed in his past generations. He could have continued. Favoritism, grudge, bitterness, all that stuff could have continued on from generation to the next to the next to the next. But he was able to pause 
because he was emotionally healthy, because he did analyze what is that old person I need to take off, because my life is at risk and the next generation is at risk. And you can look at his story. It's such a beautiful story. But when you see the brokenness and favoritism and issues that exist in his family, and it all comes down, all those issues come down to one fine point where his brothers come to him and they're looking for, 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 for them to be saved by Pharaoh. And he, now his, 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 their brother, Joseph, who was put into slavery, abandoned, just wanting to, they just wanted him to rot. And now he makes it to number two in command in the most prosperous country in the world at the time, which is Egypt. And it all comes down to one conversation. And he confronts his brothers. He confronts the past generations. And Joseph tells them this. You, my past generation, my pa that, that lineage, those generational habits, you, th those intended to harm me. But God intended it good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. He paused He's saying, the, all that was there to harm me, like, I, I, I'm giving a meditation to all this, all that was there to harm me, but now God wants to do that to build in me a new person, to accomplish something new in me. I'm not going to be defined by the flaws and brokenness of those generational habits. This is a time for me to renew and to reset now. God is trying to accomplish big things in me, and that shook up his lineage. This is why many patristic writings, church fathers in the first few centuries, would label Joseph as being the icon of Christ in the Old Testament. How he lived his life, how he was emotionally healthy, how he brought redemption and restoration to those around him. He is a glimpse, a reflection, an icon of Christ himself because he put an end to those generational habits. This is true for me. And I'm sure this is true for you. All families are broken. All families have their issues. You always have that one person. You always have that, you, you, we, you and I, we all have broken families. There's no question. My father-in-law might kill me, but it's okay. Um, father Alea is my father-in-law, and I remember he was sharing a story that, like, when he was young, he loved to go to church. And, um, I mean, go figure. But he, uh, his dad would tell him, like, chill with the whole church stuff. Like you, need to, you need, like, you need to be home. I need you to stay here. You need to stop going to church. But he felt compelled. Like, he felt like he was a better man of God by him. And I'm, saying, I'm not saying about, it's just about going to church. I'm not saying. I'm just saying it's just the example that came to mind. But he, he, he wanted to, to stop generational habits, and he wanted to put it in. Like, he felt compelled, saying, no, even if the rest of my family is not going, I'm going to go. My mom is the same thing. She never grew up going to church. I mean, my, my grandparents were CEO Christians, Christmas, Easter only. Christmas, Easter only Christians. So, you know, they just came to end, end the church Christmas and Easter. But my, my, as my mom grew, she's like, no, I, 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 I feel compelled that I, I, I don't want to just be a CEO Christian. And that compelled her. All families are broken. All families are broken. But if God can work, if you take a step back, if God can work through visible elements, bread and wine, oil, if God if God can take dirt, spit on it, and create an eyeball for someone, if God can work through visible elements, God can also work through your family affairs, which is, you can't hold on to that. If God can work through visible elements, God can also work through your family affairs to bring redemption, to bring restoration. Why do I say that with so much confidence? Why I'm so passionate about this? And why this is not just purely a psychological talk? Because this, 
for, for Jesus to overcome death and to redefine life because of there being an empty tomb, this changes this entire conversation. I am not qualified to speak about this at a, at, a, at, a, at a psychological level. But because of the reality of Jesus, this is what ordains this entire conversation to elevate just a psychological thing. This is what makes it so much more powerful because of the reality of Jesus of Nazareth rising from the dead. All families are broken. Your biological family of origin does not determine your future. Again, this is critical. Your biological family of origin does not determine your future. God does. This is why, scripturally, liturgically, for two, this 2,000-year-old church, what's the language that's used? That we are adopted into the, into, the, into the family of God. We are adopted. We are part of his inheritance. Why all this familial language? Because even with the brokenness of other people, because you know what? My parents were broke, are broken. My, great, great, my grandparents were broken. We're always going to be broken. I'm going to be a broken parent trying to now raise two kids. I'm always going to be broken. But I'm always going to make mistakes to my kids. But that's not what defines my kids. Like, I need to put into prayer that God is able to cover their eyes in, in, from the bad things that I might say or do, and that I can be an icon of Christ to them. But they're not defined by what Sarah and I, how we live our lives. Their biological family of origin does not determine their future. And it just definitely does not define your future. God does. To show how serious this is to God, Jesus said these bold, it seems divisive words. Anyone who loves their family of origin, heritage, culture, a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Why, why this in-your-face bold statement that Jesus is making? Because he's elevating the whole familial bond. He's saying, you're, you're not defined by that. You, you, yes, you need to have family. I get it. That this is how God structured the world. But you're not defined by those, by those bonds, by those flaws, by those generational habits. You and I belong to such a better family. And he has invited us to call him Father. Not Yahweh, not any other formal Lord of Lords, King of Kings. No. He says, no, I want you, no, no, no. When you talk, I want you to call me Father. And actually, no, our personal intimate term, when Jesus was teaching them the Lord's Prayer, it's actually Dad. Call me Dad. He adopts us. For us to move forward in that, we need to be uncomfortable to go back and to take off that old person. One of my favorite parts of a baptism is that the priest holds, I mean, I, I'm talking about infant baptism, that the priest or the bishop would tell them, would say the prayers, you are now grafted into the sweet olive tree of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church of God. You are grafted into this beautiful family and the church, the clergy, breathes the Holy Spirit on that person. It gives me goosebumps now and every time we pray it. The brokenness of that person's parents is not, not going to define this person. But that person, God, the church, the God says, he's mine, she's mine. And you are his. You belong to him. For us to move forward on this, 
It requires us to assess generational habits. Too much is on the line for us to ignore this conversation. Too much is on the line. But no, have hope. Jesus said, we'll have hardships, we'll have issues in this world. But he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We don't want to build any grudge, any resentment toward anything of our past, toward our family, toward any person, because we belong to you. You have chosen us. You have called us your beloved. Nothing defines us more than that. Forgive us our sins. Hear us as we pray together. Our Father, Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.